Let's, Let's do this. this. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> oh, I love this game so much. Okay. Be a fan, friends, where we talk about movies all day. Finally. Little did you know this podcast was just going to become a video game podcast. <laughs> We've only talked about one video game. It's just yeah, video game. A it's entirely a podcast about The Last of Us. That's all we do. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Okay, so, um, just first disclaimer. There's a thunderstorm. So if you can hear thunder or rain, um, we have just decided that it's going to add to the ambiance today. Spooky Seattle vibes. Yeah, exactly. It's fitting for the game. So there we go. Second thing, we are going to start this with uh, a spoiler-free review, and then a semi-spoiler-free review, and then we're going to give you all our good thoughts and feelings. So if you haven't played the game, you haven't seen anything about it other than official trailers and stuff like that, uh, stay tuned for this first part, and we'll tell you everything you need to know without ruining any spoilers for you. And then... And then we will segue into the, you saw what leaked online before the game came out. Um, and we will talk a little bit more about like what was what was in the leaks and what you need to know if you're afraid of the material that you saw in the leaks. Which a lot of people are, turns out. Yes. Um, and then we're just going to say fuck it and spoil absolutely everything because... The whole game. The whole game. Because, hey, a lot of people have finished it and so have we. Yeah. It's been out for... A month. A month is by the time we post this. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So let's get into it. Uh, yeah. Completely spoiler-free review. Uh, nothing but the trailers that Naughty Dog has released and, like, cool cover art of the thing. Mm-hmm. What would you say, Amy? <laughs> I didn't plan um, this at all. I feel like at a baseline, um, like, it's a game that's so much about feelings, which it's a Naughty Dog <laughs> game. If you played the first one, you could have expected that very much. But it's a game that's very much about feelings, and I actually was watching a review earlier today that put it very well. This was um, in the YouTube channel Just Right, like, W-R-I-T-E, his review. Um, he said that the game manipulates you in the best way. Where, like, he's not using manipulation as a, like bad word or a negative word it's just simply like the story successfully manipulates you to feel the feelings they want you to feel during certain scenes and they're successful in that and that's also what has pissed some people off because they don't want to feel those feelings <laughs> i am on the other end however where i'm like wow i didn't expect to feel this way and they successfully made me feel this way that's so impressive yeah yeah i mean neil Druckmann said ahead of time that like like, they kept saying this game's going to be divisive. And there's a lot of reasons why it is. Some of them should not be divisive things. Mm-hmm. But, cat interruptions. But, uh, yeah, on that point, it, it is. Like, you are going to, it is a roller coaster of emotion as well as action. And you are going to have highs and you're going to have lows. And both of them are just incredibly intense. Like, Na- Naughty Dog knows how to make emotions. They know how to make you feel the way they want to, and they just prove it over and over again with this game. Um, You will have no choice but to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From a gameplay standpoint as well, I think the game is excellent. Um, so smooth. Yeah, I was going to say, the way everything flows together, it's not choppy or chunky or, like, clunky with, like, the transitions. Because, you know, in certain games, like, you hit the buttons too fast and then it kind of, like, jumps because the mm-hmm. character's trying to do all of your commands. And, like, it just seamlessly puts all of your commands together. 
And I also love the fact that this game did, like, let you do more of, like, your gameplay style as far as, like, stealth versus combat. Like, I feel like it didn't force your hand as much as the last one did. And also the fact that you can literally get through this game with killing very few people if that's how you want to play. Yeah, I Um, remember... Very interesting. I saw a bit of an interview with Troy Baker where he was talking about... uh, the way the combat works is representative of who you want the character to be. And it's like, you don't get to customize your character. It's a Naughty Dog game. But, like, if you want to stealth through the game, if you want to go in guns blazing, like, that will change your experience of the game and the themes you find and the interactions you have with enemies and other characters. Um, and no matter what you want to do, it works so well. And it's rewarding either way, because, you know, playing it, there were times when uh, you know, I stealthed past an entire section and it felt so good. And there were times when I killed everything in the section and had the chance to just wander around and look freely without worrying about anything. And that felt so good. And, you know, you can replay it and do it differently the next time. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah. And it really, people kept saying like, you know, they did this with the first game and the PS3 and it was a swan song to the console and everything they could do with this. And they did it again with the PS4. (laughs) Like it's, they were like, let's take the PS4 and get the most out of this, like, machine that we can and make it, like, its best performance. Yeah. The gameplay's very similar to the first game. It's not super complicated past that. Um, and I know I've seen some people being kind of like they didn't do anything new. First of all, that's not true. They have new elements in there, but it just felt familiar. It felt like going home and about halfway through the game. By the time I got all the equipment you can get, I was comfortable with everything and felt like I could try new things without being like well this is really hard so I'm gonna stick to what I know and otherwise I won't get through it Mm. which is really really cool it's nice to have a game that looks so amazing and looks like complicated combat but anyone can do it I was gonna say this game is the first time that I've actually picked up a controller and played The Last of Us and I've only played a bit of the beginning on my own because Grace has the controller when we're playing um and I was really surprised that I could pick it up so easily and found the controls so easy because like I knew at a basic level like you know classic L2 to aim R2 to shoot like I knew like those buttons um but I didn't know what half the controls were in the game and I think the menus are so intuitive which is really nice coming off of Red Dead. Yeah, I was going to say, after putting so many hours into Red Dead, like, I find those controls very smooth now, where I understand how to navigate in the menus very quickly. But for basically my first playthrough of Red Dead, for, like, most of my first file, I would still, like, open the wrong menus all the time. When I was, like, in the middle of fighting, I would, like, pull out the wrong gun or, like, not hit the right button to go into the menu. And See, I would just, like, I mess up. when I do that, up. you make fun of me. Well, I've gotten to the point where I don't do it anymore. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that. like, coming off of a game where it did take a while to get the controls down, it was really interesting going into The Last of Us 2 and just having them be so easy. Yeah, because you picked up the controller at a fairly late in the game spot. There's a point that was very scary and I could not handle it anymore. So Amy tried um, and cleared the room and did amazing. But like... Our power is flickering. <laughs> what the fuck? Flickers. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. And so the fact that like with a lot of... I mean, it was still the first half of the game, but mm. several, like 15, 20 hours into the game, you can pick up and within a couple of tries, get the hang of a really hard section and get through it. Mm-hmm. Granted, just saying this now, we were playing on easy mode. Right. But- Here's my opinion, which I feel like I might have shared before on the podcast, about how I like to play video games. Which is, 
I want to have fun, not be frustrated. So I like playing at a hard enough level that poses some challenges, and I'm not just going to be like bored and breezing through the game, but I don't like playing at such a hard level that I'm just dying and frustrated. Like, just, you shouldn't be a shameful thing to play video games not on like the highest or second highest level. Mm-hmm. And I think at all of the dude bros out there. Yeah, dude bros. Um, and I think, and like, obviously this has to do with, you know, our individual skill levels at playing video games, but I feel like Naughty Dog does a good job of giving, um, both in this game and the first one, uh, enough levels of difficulty that like easy had a really good balance of there were times when I had no bullets and I was freaking out and I did have to go scavenge for supplies to get the stuff I needed. But there was never a point where I had to quit out of frustration. Mm-hmm. Even if there were sections that I had to stop, think about what I was doing, and try something different a few times before I could get through it. It was very, very well done. So I think like no matter where your skill level is in video games, um, you can find an option that you know gives you the full narrative moment and makes you feel like you're doing really, really well without, you know, crying because you can't get through a section right and i think too this game has more like or maybe this i'm not sure if this is fair to say or not you'll have to tell me if you agree i feel like this game has more calm periods because there is larger areas to explore so if you don't explore the areas there's not more calm periods but If you are somebody who wants to go search for supplies, find the Easter eggs, like see the cool stuff, see all the environmental storytelling, then there's longer, larger periods of calm. Yeah. Yeah, because, which, like, The Last of Us does this thing where even if you, like, even if there's not an enemy in sight, you're still probably going to feel tense because they keep putting you in situations where the enemies are, could pop out at any second. Um, And in a survival horror game, that's not going to put you at ease. Um, so definitely, like, with a first playthrough especially, um, you know, I would be wandering through and I would not find an infected for minutes and longest amounts of time, um, but I would still be on edge. So it, was, it wasn't just kind of like, oh, la-di-da, like, break the storytelling kind of way, um, but, like, I know if I played it again, I'd be like, oh, I recognize this building, there wasn't anything in it, like, weren't any enemies in it, um, I can just go at my leisure, and it definitely has those longer periods of just exploration. I think part of that's also the fact that you could sneak around enemies really easily. And I think they did a really good job of telling you, you know, this building's going to have infected in it. This one's not. They surprised you a few times. Keep it interesting. Mm -hmm. But I like too that they are a very, very self-aware company. Um, So there are a lot of things where they know that you're going to play off of what you learned in the first game. And then Mm -hmm. they use that to their advantage where they're like, they're going to assume things. I know. Are you thinking about the same spot I am? Oh, we're definitely thinking of the same spot. Such assholes. Um, But yeah, and it's it's really, really interesting how they do that. Where they are very aware of their reputation and also how you will play the game. Because they're very aware of the experience that you are going through. Um, But yeah, I think we would both recommend playing it for sure <laughs> if you can't so tell. like yeah positive review here you know? i will say on that point and i'll probably get into this more later but like the idea of naughty dog being self-aware just every game naughty dog puts out especially recently since i've been you know paying attention to youtube videos on like on their games and stuff like that naughty dog just seems like a company that like you can tell how much they just love video games which most video game designers are so obviously like this and it's why i like the industry a lot um well not the industry industries suck inherently 
but I like the field of video games a lot because you can tell Quick just... anti-capitalist tangent. <laughs> yes. Um, just, like, you can just tell how much love they put into every single thing and how much they love the story they're making, but also how much they love the PlayStation that they're building on, how much they love video game history and how much they love stuff other people in their company has made. It's just, it's really fun to watch. It is obviously an act of love every single time, you know, Naughty Dog puts out a game. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for acts of love. Yeah. In art. <laughs> Are we good for the completely spoiler-free review, do you think? Yes. Okay, okay. so from this point on, if you want to go, if you're thinking about getting this game, you want to go in with a fresh start, which I highly, highly recommend. We did not, well, you, you kind I, of saw some of the spoilers before we played. I hadn't seen any. I knew two very undetailed things, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get into, um, but... A lot of spoilers leaked, um, like, two months-ish before the game came out. Um, it, it's just a huge mess. It was not good for anyone, and it genuinely, I believe, has ruined the experience for a lot of people, because they're not- they don't put the game in a good light, the spoilers mm-hmm. that came out. So if you want to avoid them, which we think you should, or at least I think you should, yeah. um, shut this off now. Stop listening. We don't need your listener count. No one listens to this anyway. So- <laughs> Um, but if you've heard some spoilers, or if you've already played the game, or you just don't care because some people don't care about spoilers, because in the end, it's just a game, stick around. Hear us out. Mm-hmm. This is your warning. Yeah. So, um, do we want to just, like, straight up say what the spoilers were? I don't remember all of them, but yes. Um. Well, so the big one, Joel dies. Joel dies. <laughs> right off the bat. Hey, you were warned. Not right off the bat, but, like, three scenes in. <laughs> It's it's probably an hour and a half into the game. Yeah, an hour to an hour and a half, depending on how quickly you're breezing through it. Um, mm. Joel dies. And the other part of that, so, like, that's obviously enough to make a bunch of fan people mad. Um, but the other side of that is the character who kills Joel is not an inherent villain. In fact, she becomes a playable protagonist in the second half of the game. Her name is Abby, and I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, like, more and more. I, we haven't talked about this a ton since, like, the week after we played it. Yeah. But the more I think about it and the more I see on, like, Tumblr and Twitter and stuff, I love Abby. I do, too. I feel like it's extremely controversial for us to say, which we shouldn't get into shouldn't it anymore into this, right no, no. now, because this so, is like, still no, not overall spoilers. That was, those were the big things. Um, there's a few other things, such as, I think, I don't, I never actually went and saw the spoilers. I looked up a summary of some of them, but yeah, it was big. Joel dies, you play as his killer. Um, and then the other- There's false ones, too. Yes, because the other thing that happened was that it leaked that there was a trans character in the game, and because- that, Which is true. And because there was a, that first trailer with Abby and all of her muscles, muscles. um- People assumed that she was the trans character. Can we talk about how which is, bullshit that is? It's so fucking transphobic. So transphobic. It's also misogynistic. Like, yes. Like, a woman can't be that muscular, so that must be somebody who was assigned male at birth, so she is the trans character. There's so many, like, jumps of bigotry in that, like, thought process, and it annoys me so much. But she is not the trans character. She is a cis woman and um, people need to calm the fuck down about how women's muscles can't be that big because they can. I'm confused. <laughs> like, they can? It's also, it's also like, incredibly relevant to the story that her yeah. muscles are that big, which mm-hmm. we'll get into that. But, like, it is, 
the thing with the spoilers that gets me, maybe this is just going to be us complaining about the spoilers for 10 minutes. It might be. Um, but the thing about the spoilers that gets me is that with everyone that leaked, even after, like, the game came out and people kept complaining about it, like, you could so obviously tell no one actually gave the ch- game a chance after seeing those spoilers. Right. That was complaining. Because, like, you just have to play the game to find out that Abby's not trans. And you just have to play the game to find out that, like, the whole, like, scandal about Neil Druckmann inserting himself as, like, like... No, you just, it takes literally, okay, I'm not going to say it takes no effort because it's a hard game at times, Yeah, but it's so easy to just, like, shut up and figure it out for yourself right. and then like, make judgments. If people who were upset about the spoilers had just given the game the benefit of the doubt, I think a lot of them still would have had a positive experience with yes. it. Um, but, yeah, going with the whole, like, this is your review that does have the spoilers. Right, back to the actual um, stuff. Okay, with the big one, Joel's death. Obviously, no one wants Joel wants Joel to die. Well, the character. <laughs> anyway, no people out here in real life <laughs> want Joel to die. But I don't think it was like an unnecessary death or like killing the hero or like that kind of stuff. Like I think that they did a good job fitting it into the story and giving it its proper place. Um, so I don't think that's something that you should fear. Yes, when it's it's obviously a shock. It's obviously hard, and it's emotional to play that part. Like I was very like on the edge of my seat. Yes, the thing is, it's supposed to be, and Naughty Dog clearly planned from the start. And like this is something that like I've learned from interviews and stuff since then. Like they put so much effort into trying to do the best by the characters, even if their physical circumstances aren't the best, because it is a game about the apocalypse. <laughs> um. They did the best by their emotions and their journeys and the way we feel attached to them as characters. Um, it is still a really good story. It might not be the story a lot of people wanted, but that's kind of how stories work, is you don't get to choose what you get, you just get to enjoy it right. or not. Well, like, it's Naughty Dog. You can't expect that, like, the story they're going to give you is going to be predictable. Because obviously, like, we did a whole predictions episode, and we didn't get jack shit right. <laughs> we got nothing right. And <laughs> nothing! We literally were so sure that Joel was going to die. Um, <laughs> we literally, yeah, literally brought this up. <laughs> Which, it actually makes me really... It makes me laugh now, but also makes me kind of happy that from the first trailer for this game, people were predicting that Joel was going to die. And yet now everyone's, like, messed up about it. And it's like... But you all thought it was gonna happen Y'all anyways. knew! Y'all, y'all knew! Oh, I'm so confused. But, um, like, I don't think that you should be fearful or think that that is going to be, like, bad or make the game bad for you. Like, I think you can still yes. very much enjoy this game, even if you are, like, concerned that Joel's gonna die. Like, it'll be okay. And the same goes for playing as Abby as well. Like, mm-hmm. they obviously... They're... It's... Naughty Dog. They're good storytellers. (laughs) Yeah, the story is what it is, and I understand that some people don't enjoy that, and that is perfectly fine, but know that in terms of quality and effort and investment and a, you know, storytellers and actors trying to do the best they possibly can by their characters, you can tell that they put a lot of effort into it. Mm -hmm. So it's not something everyone's going to agree with, like Neil Druckmann kept saying. It's a divisive story, Um, but... For what it is, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, you have to have trust in their storytelling because they do give you good, like, logical paths to follow with the characters. So, like, you understand their motivations and you understand the decisions they're making. 
And if you let yourself go and allow yourself to be taken on the journey that Naughty Dog wants to give you, you do have a good experience. Because I think we did really good at that. And we're coming out the other end being like, dang. Yeah. Yeah, because it didn't sit well with us at first. No, we got to a certain point and we literally had like a huge discussion where we were like, I don't know how I feel about this. How long do you think this is going to go on for? Like, well, which I guess because we've already said some of the spoilers that that involves. When we got to the point where you start playing as Abby and us not knowing it was coming. I Well, I knew it was coming. You didn't. No. I knew there was a shift. Yeah. I had no idea what that meant because I had no context. I just knew there was a shift, and I also knew that there was a large tonal shift at the end. Um, Those were, like, the spoilers I saw because it was people who, like, binge-played it in one day. I just saw some of them talking about it. Can you imagine? I would be so stressed. Oh, my gosh. Um, But so when we got to the point where we played as Abby, we discussed where we're like, they can't do this for more than a few hours of the game, right? Like, I don't know how I feel about this. We're going to forget about Ellie, blah, blah, blah. And, um... We ended up okay with it in the end. I ended up okay like, with we it. let them, we gave them the benefit of the doubt, we let them take us on the story they wanted to tell us, and we were happy. Which is a thing, I think it's kind Happy of, with the experience. Happy with the experience. We're something like, happy Joel died. No. <laughs> Which was a thing, because I remember talking about this at one of our, part, like, one of the first games episodes, um, how there was someone who was complaining about the first game because the trailers led everyone to believe that Joel would die at some point in the first game. And so this person was so mad because they spent the entire first game waiting for the moment when Joel died that they couldn't enjoy the story itself. And I think it's hilarious because that is what's happening again with this game. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really excited to see how this fares, you know, once the PS5 comes out and, you know, in two years and in five years. And, it, like, when they get a remaster of this game, like, how beloved is it going to be? Because I think, I think it's going to stand out. Mm-hmm. Like... I think I, I think mean, if nothing else, we're gonna remember this story as that one that was so divisive because it did something so different and yeah. it did upset people. And like at the end of the day, yes, they are all getting harassed online. Everybody involved in this game is pretty much getting harassed online. Which is, so which is fucked up as shit. It's terrifying. But y'all. it is kind of one of those things where like it is the proof that the game stands out and isn't going to be forgotten. Yeah. Because like it's a horrible ultimatum, but it's like, would you rather have your game just, like, fly under the radar and, like, not receive any kind of, like, reception and people just, like, forget about it? Or would you rather there be discussion? And, like, yeah. holy shit, has there been discussion? Well, and I think, too, and, like, I oh, this is Laura Bailey who pointed out, someone, one of the actors, or Neil Druckmann, I don't remember, in an interview I watched, pointed out how... Like, there's been a shift, and this is something, like, I can even see on my, like, bare Twitter feed of, like, who, like, the random people I'm following. There's been a shift since, like, the first weekend when the game came out, when it was a bunch of people, like, hating on it because they played the first two hours and were like, well, this is stupid, I'm gonna go yell at people on the internet about it. Um, And, like, that's when a ton of the hatred came out was, like, those first few days. And in the days after that, in the weeks since then, there's been such a shift of, like, either people are finally getting around to playing it, or people are stopping like we did and thinking about it after they finish the game. And it's just so, like, it's it's on an upward swing again. Like, critics all loved it. Everyone hated it when it came out. And now people are, I genuinely, from what I've seen, are, like, way more positive reviews are outweighing everything. Mm-hmm. Which is what it deserves. Yeah. Alright. Are we going to go into our full, like, bombs away part now? True spoilers. Okay, so, yeah. Final warning. Nothing is going to be held back. We'll probably start talking about the end, like, immediately. No one can... T- that's what we do on this podcast, so... Um, yeah, jump straight to the end. 
So, should we try? Yeah. Should we try and be more chronological or just we like should, whatever? We should. I don't like once we start talking about the end, that's going to be the entire episode. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so yes, this is your final warning. If you want to play the game, which I highly recommend, and you don't want spoilers, uh, just you know, skip out now. Go purchase it. Spoilers are ahead. Uh. Yeah. Let's, Let's do this. It. Let's get into it. Let's get into <laughs> it. Oh, I love this game so much. Okay. Start at the beginning. I mean. Just the opening of how they chose to open this game is... Can I tell you something about this opening? Yes. What? Okay, so the scene with Joel and Ellie in her um, in her cabin, like the flashback scene when they first get back, that is actually from a one-night live event that they did where... I saw this. You saw this? I did see this, it's yeah. It's so cool! Where And, mm-hmm. like, they were just doing scenes, and they... It's not on YouTube, which... Unless you found it. I couldn't they... find it on YouTube, because they did not film... Right, the they scene. didn't film it so that it wouldn't get, like, leaked. Basically, yeah. They did a stage version of... It was also a copyright thing, because the song they didn't have permission to yes. use for, like, at really out there stuff at that point. They only had permission to use yes. it for, like, the stage. Um. So, yeah, they did a one-night-only event with uh, Ashley Johnson, Tori Baker, um, other actors that I don't know the names of. I'm very sorry. If you're not part of the Critical Role cast, I don't have your name memorized. <laughs> um, well, Troy Baker's not, but whatever. Anyways, the but he's is, Troy Baker. He's Troy Baker. He's in everything. Um, they did a, a stage version of a bunch of the scenes, and at the end, they did a scene that was an epilogue, air quotes, to The Last of Us. And I don't think it. I think it like doing it then, creating it. It was created for the stage version, but that's when they realized this is the opening of the next game, and I just fucking love it because it gives closure to the first game while also keeping it open and it's such a good way to end that and start this all in one it's the perfect perfect little like intermission i mm. guess would just like give you a nice little transfer over remind you of what happened in the last game because too they are living such a different life than they did in the first one yeah. and yes we know that they went to what's the name of the community jackson we know that they went to Jackson at the end of the last game, obviously, but we don't get to see their life in Jackson at all. Mm-hmm. So this is a nice way to ease you once again from like Joel and Ellie's life on the road and their survival and all of that into Jackson. It's such a tonal shift too from the beginning of the first game, which is introducing you. It's really cool how they're horror. Yeah, they're both introducing you to the world you're gonna start in, but like because the first game's introducing you, oh here's normal life, here's the apocalypse, like it's horrifying it's heartbreaking it's creepy and action-packed so i was watching some stuff today and one of the things i watched was them talking about the script of the first game and neil Druckmann was saying that originally you played as joel in that um prologue and you like went to the neighbor's house and you killed a um infected and you like came back and got your daughter and then like started off and um they were like something about it just didn't feel right and then in talking to all of the creative people, they realized if he plays the daughter, that sense of like being scared and feeling threatened and like feeling vulnerable because you have no way to protect yourself would be so much more apparent and it would make the infected and this an outbreak day feel so much more scary than if you were Joel, who's already like somebody who is capable of defending himself in that situation. So that's why you play as the daughter. And I feel like with that in mind of how much they are cognizant of like the tonal way that they can set something, having you play as Joel at the beginning of this game is then kind of showing you like his personal shift 
where you see that he's still conflicted about things, but then you, like, play as him, like, galloping through a field of flowers and going to a community, and he's hanging out with his brother. So it shows you, like, you know, this very, like, manly man who can, like, defend himself is living in a community. And, like, they really give you that tonal shift of this place is safer and more secure, and they've really let their guard down um, because they've been living, like, an easier life right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's still not easy. They're still zombies, but easier than their, like, crazy life on the road. The more I think about it, and there's, obviously this isn't, like, perfect, but I feel like the two games create a palindrome tonally. Is that the right word? Where it's the same forwards and backwards? Because you start... Yeah. You start with this very, like, like, it's a calm moment, but it's uncertain, because you as the player are waiting for the outbreak to happen, but you're playing as Sarah, and you don't know what's going on, and you're just kind of, like, exploring your house, like ready with anticipation I guess and then it goes into this action and this heartbreak and like you're not exactly sure what's going on but just like that and just like the way the first game goes and then the middle between the two is life in Jackson so it's the first game winding down with Joel and Ellie and the second game picking up with like that community aspect and like Mm -hmm. the relations and the bonds we make in the middle of the outbreak and that slowly devolves over the course of the second game as Ellie becomes who Joel was in the beginning of the first game. I was gonna say, it goes from, like, hardened to softened, softened to hardened. Yes. Which yeah. I still argue that Ellie would not be as hardened as we're expected to believe at the end of the game, but that's a discussion for later in the episode. Oh, when we get to the farm core part. Oh. Hardcore farm core. Speaking of farm core, can we talk about how a huge, big name, like, darling of Sony PlayStation Studio decided to come out with one of the most anticipated games of the decade. Can you say that? It's 2020 now. This decade, last decade, one of the most anticipated games. And they said, hi, you're going to play 30 hours as a lesbian, and it's going to be obvious. (laughs) Oh, it's just, like, so refreshing, because it's one of those things where, like, we still don't see media that's about queer women that isn't just about them being queer. Because, yes, that is a story worth telling, and that is good to see. However, can't people just, like, casually be gay? And this is such a... They're just casually gay. They're just casually Like, it's just a gay. part of their life. Which is so, like... Neil Druckmann did say that, where it was, like, Ellie's gay. That was never not going to be included in the sequel, because it is just part of who she is. So I feel like we could have predicted that it's not, like, worthy of, like, huge plot points or something. It's just, like, something that's there. Um, but it's just so... Ref- well, and I, you know, as much as, like, Interview said, and, like, we even got a trailer of them kissing, I did not believe until we were in, like, several hours in, that they were genuinely going to have just a blatant lesbian with her girlfriend throughout the game. Like, I, I thought, you know, the thing with Dina was going to be in the beginning, and then she was going to leave her behind, or something was going to happen to Dina, or something like that. I, and I, I, even when they're traveling together, I was like, well, they're not going to be in a relationship yet. They're still in that awkward period. Nope. They're just straight up pet names, loving each other, talking about their past, kissing, cuddling. I'm still blown away by it. Like, there's just, like, in the middle of playing it, I was like, I cannot believe that this is happening. The only, and I've played a lot of games with gay characters in them, but, like, even, like, Life is Strange, which is known for having, like, gay girl representation doesn't have nearly as much as this is, which is mm-hmm. a smaller game, but, like, it's not as obvious. It's not as blatant. Like, Naughty Dog just said, hey, this is who she is. Here's what you're gonna get. Like, boom. Yeah. Romance. 
Congratulations. <laughs> it's... Oh, okay. And not to keep making this about, like, the people on the internet, but it genuinely pisses me off so much that there were so many people online who were just like, you made me play as a lesbian. And it's like, maybe, just maybe, some things aren't made for you. <laughs> And I just feel that so strongly because it's, like, I feel so, like, happy about, like, just them being in the game. And the fact that there's people who are, like, upset because it's, like, there's one damn video game protagonist that isn't Listen, them. Listen, if we have to play as, uh, like, burly, angry straight men for the first 20-something years of our well, lives. And here's the thing, too, is there's burly, angry straight men I'm fine as playing as. I like Joel. I like Arthur Morgan. <laughs> However, like, it is great to have some variety. <laughs> yeah, video, like, video game protagonists, action game protagonists are all, like, there's a lot of really good characters out there. Mm-hmm. But they're all straight white men. They're all straight white men, mm-hmm. for the most part. And now yeah. it's just like, hey, do you want a lesbian? Yes. Yes, I do. Because even, like, Thank you. Nathan Drake in Uncharted. Straight white straight man. Straight white man. Um, I'm pretty sure that most of the characters in a lot of the um, Grand Theft Auto games are straight white men. It was only the last couple that had yeah, more variety. Franklin and I don't know anything about. Yeah, Grand I think Theft there was. A, I think there was a man of color in the last one, and there was also maybe a woman because I think there were like a number of characters. I don't know how many are playable though, because like I don't play Grand Theft Auto. Um, but like all of the big franchises that like continually have games, and like even Halo. Like yes, you never see Master Chief's face, but I've seen the origin movie, and he is a <laughs> white straight man. <laughs> And, um, so, which granted, in the origin movie, a number of the Spartan warriors are women, and also there are some people of color, but Master Chief himself is still a straight white man. And, um, so it's like, there's all these big franchises, and it's just nice that there was finally a franchise that wasn't. Yeah. And I, I also like that it it feels like this could be a turning, not a turning point necessarily, but this could be, like, start a of something. Because, I mean, like, with indie games being more and more popular recently, like, we're getting a lot more of the diversity and stuff like that. But with this, and with uh, Uncharted Lost Legacy, where, uh, you know, Na- Naughty Dog, once again, was like, yeah, we've given you a lot of, sh- like, Nathan Drake, but how would you, like, the girls in the story to, like, team up and go kick ass together? Mm-hmm. I would. I would like that, Naughty Dog. But it feels almost like not, like, those being the last two major releases of the studio, if they release anything else, I don't know. Um, it feels like they're kind of like looking out at everyone else right now and being like, your move. And this is definitely me projecting, but like, come on, video game industry. It's your move. What are you going to do next? Okay, so I... One of the things that I think I like the most about this game in a, like, a grand scheme, big thoughts kind of way is that there's two female protagonists... Yes who have completely different different definitions of what it means to be a woman and also are, like, pitted against each other, but it never turns into, like, a woman-hating situation. Nope. Like, if this game had been a man killing Joel and Ellie going after him, the, like, gender binary would have caused, like, a bunch of, like, undertones and, like, weird things that would have become, like, potentially problematic in how people perceive them and, like, there just would have been, like... And then there would have been so much hubbub over, like, if Ellie, like, beat, like, a guy in a fight. Like, she could never have done that. Like, there would have just been so much um, argument and, like, criticism that would have revolved around gender as, like, genders pitted against one another. And instead, we got a story that has two round female protagonists. 
and they're never pitted against each other in a way that puts like genders against one another where it's not like oh like like Abby is a not like other girls girl so she like is hating on Ellie or something and she's like I can't believe this girl beat me or something like instead it's, it's just good round female characters yeah it's never a cat fight or anything like yes. that yes sorry because, that's so what the word I was looking for because they are both well-rounded enough characters that they become narrative foils and they yes. become like up there in the ranks of like all these epic characters and stories that are put at odds and like they are given enough atten- attention to do that mm-hmm. and it's not just them either like obviously they're the playable characters and also okay brief side note I love the fact that like they have such different body types that they play differently mm-hmm. like mechanically they function differently and it's just a, such a brilliant thing to have like them be played differently because it's so simple and it's so brilliant at the same yeah, time. Like, of like, course your characters would feel different, but also to not have your characters that are the same gender be different is kind of big. Yeah. And it's 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 also something that, like, you know, switching to Abby was, like, we were shocked enough by the story at that point that we didn't notice it. But switching back to Ellie afterwards, both of us were like, she's so fucking small. Which, she is. She's She'd also not eating was at that losing point. weight, yeah. yeah. But, like... I feel like if it was just, like, normal weight Ellie, too, we would have been like, wow, she's so small, because Ellie is a light, agile, nimble, fast character, whereas Abby is a fucking tank. Right, Uh, like, there's a very different, like, fight style there and everything. Like, even outside of how you play them, they just, like, are naturally going to be inclined towards different things, and you're probably going to play them in different ways because of that. mm -hmm. Um, And I also love that it was a story that centers so much around, like, women, because... Even though we have, like, two pregnant women in the game, it still never went to a place of, like, this extreme violence against women that I kept, like, dreading would happen. Which is really impressive considering one of those pregnant women dies and the other one almost dies. Well, and it's a thing where, like, yes, they're pregnant women that die and almost die, but given the nature of the game, you don't expect everyone to make it out alive, so then those aren't shocking things. And what I would have considered to be, like, unnecessary violence against women in the game would have been, like, if one of them, like, like specifically gets stabbed, like, in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Or if um, one of them had miscarried. Like, that would have been, like, where the line was crossed to me instead. And the fact that they were able to have all of these female characters and still not, like, go there at any point was so nice. Because so many pieces of media rely on, oh, the woman gets raped as, like, their great thing to address, like, women's problems. Mm -hmm. And I think two things on that. One is that there's enough, like, there's enough of a balance between female and male characters that, like, if a woman gets hurt and if a woman gets killed, it's not like, oh, they killed off the only woman or one of only two women (laughs) in the story. There's so many women in the story. It's just another character. I mean, it's not just another character. We care about all of them. But um, the other thing is, like, they're all... There's enough women in the game that instead of having your token female, you just have characters. Yes. Which, why is that surprising at this point? It Don't shouldn't know, be. But it is. But we finally got there. Um, the other thing is, on, like, specifically violence against pregnant women, um... Dang, we lost power! Anyway. Um, I think it's really well done in that, and I'm speaking as someone who has never been pregnant, never has any intentions of being pregnant, I think it's really well done that we are given the weight of not just you hurt someone, but you hurt someone who was pregnant, 
at the same time that they're never hurt because they are pregnant. So it's not, they're, they're not being targeted because they're pregnant, but the fact that they are pregnant is still a weighty thing on the characters' minds and on our minds. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a good balance of, like, this is different. This is different than killing anyone else. Oh my god, we're in a monsoon. <laughs> Day three. Um. <laughs> Day three of the game. Um, it's, it, it's telling you this isn't the same as killing anyone else because it's not, but it's also not being, like, oh, haha! like, it's so violent because we killed the pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. And I think when we first found out that there's two pregnant women in the game, I was like, wow, that's a lot of pregnancy. But, <laughs> um, like, then the way that the pregnancy played into, like, the character motivations and the feelings and how it affected their actions really did make sense. Because it's balanced. Like they're foils. Well, and here's the thing, too, is was it was a very specific choice. It wasn't the women have to be pregnant because, like, there isn't birth control in this world or something like that, because there mm-hmm. isn't. But, like, that wasn't the point. Like, the, it was a very, very specific choice for there to be a pregnant woman in both of their lives. And I think yeah. that that made up for any, like, feelings of, like, huh, this is a little too coincidental when, yeah. like, you find out there's a second pregnant woman. And we're also given enough insight on each character that we know that, like, it's their choice to be here and be pregnant because mm-hmm. Mel doesn't know she's in danger. So, like, that's, like, it's not her choice to be in the middle of a battle whenever she's pregnant, but it's her choice to be pregnant with her boyfriend and start a family. That's, she's very clear on that. And Dina she makes a very conscious choice not to tell Ellie so that she continue, can continue to be with Ellie. And, and they won't turn around. And they yeah. won't turn around. So it's both of them making very conscious decisions about their bodies and how they're going to continue on in the world they live in, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Yeah. I appreciate that. Female autonomy. Female autonomy. Love it. <laughs> um. Oh. I'm like, where do we even go from here? I wanted to point out. Yes. Um, because this is the shortest note I have in my phone. I literally just wrote next generation vibes because almost every character in this game is someone who was born after the outbreak. Yes. So I think it is fascinating. Yeah, it's super, super interesting to see in this game that it's people who don't know the world in our way at all. And so they talk about Joel and him having seen like a movie in the theaters as like this crazy thing because they've never experienced a movie theater. And, like, maybe there's one in Jackson that they, like, power sometimes or something, but, like, not a true movie theater. Um, and it's so, so cool. And I think it gives them such a different feeling as well because, like, they're used to just, like, navigating a world like this all the time and always being scared of infected being around. And so it's so interesting because they are very different people because of that. Yeah. I would argue this is so much fun um we're in the upside down guys i would argue that this is actually not a post-apocalyptic story it's a post post-apocalyptic story mm-hmm. because it is a the people making decisions in the world we're in right now and not all of them there's like tommy's there the leader of the wolves presumably a lot of the scars too are people who have been around from the beginning and their choices are, like even characters choices are being influenced by people who've been around from the beginning but they're the ones taking action. They're the ones filling a lot of the ranks in the army. And they're the ones going out on their own and traveling the world and figuring out what to do next. And it's so interesting because so much of the old world is just getting erased. And you even have the religious cult sitting there and saying the old world rather than before the outbreak. Like, it's a different environment entirely. And I think um, 
it is really, really, in the, like, this is a post-apocalyptic story, it's the difference between continuing to fight the world that they're in and trying to find solutions and ways to go back to the old world versus, like, accepting the world they're in, realizing this is just life and living in that world in a way where you're just trying to find happiness in that world rather than trying to go back to something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really apparent in that Seattle doesn't have military anymore. It's just the wolves and the, um, the cult. The scars. The scars. The seraphites, sorry. The seraphites. Um, and it's just, and like that, and the fact that Jackson is an established community, mm-hmm. um, where they're just happily living in their houses and stuff like that. And, and like, the yes, the they, fireflies are gone too, I think well, really informs that. Right, because the fireflies were a huge force of trying to go back to the old world because they were looking for a cure. Um... And so I think that's, like, where the difference lies is just in people, like, accepting that this is their life now. And that's such a brilliant idea to do that because us playing the first game, it was obviously a post-apocalyptic game because the entire point was to try and get a cure. Mm -hmm. Like, up until the very end, you were trying to get Ellie to the Fireflies to get a cure. And starting this game, we know that there's not going to be a cure. And the characters know there's not going to be a cure, because that informs who Abby is as a person, and who all of her friends who were in the Fireflies, they all know for sure the only person who can make a cure died. And Joel knows, and Ellie, we have to find out, has found out since then that, Mm -hmm. like, And it's so interesting because that's knowledge we have going in. So even though it's the same world, they decided to make it just different enough that, like, that knowledge meant something. This is not the same world. It has changed because of the actions of the first game. Um, So that made me think of something that I saw in a video today that was a super good point that I've been thinking about. Where you go into this game and you don't know that Ellie knows that Joel lied to her. Ah! And that's slowly revealed in the flashback. And so, by the time that you get to that last, like, the flashback where she's at the hospital and has the recorder, um, and you realize that she knows that Joel lied to her, you've already played as her and seen Joel die. So, I think what's made me come more to terms with who Ellie is by the end of the game, and the choices that she does make, is that I think she is not only motivated by getting revenge for Joel, Mm -hmm. but also, I think she feels a lot of guilt because she was on the way to making amends with him they were going to watch a movie together that night they just started talking again like right after the dance it seemed and like having like real conversation again Mm -hmm. um and so I think that she felt extremely guilty that she didn't get to truly give him her forgiveness before he was gone and I think that's a huge part of her motivation to continually seek revenge is that like she couldn't give him her forgiveness so like revenge is the least she can do I saw something and I will fully admit that Part of this is a fan fiction, and part of it was analysis. Um, but one thing that was talking about how her fight with Abby, like, it was, uh, she can't tell whether she wants to kill Ab- Abby or if she wants Abby to kill her. Yes. Which I think is devastating, but very oh, true. Oh, yes. Um, but also, well, like, she's putting herself in the way of violence and in yeah. harm's way because she, she doesn't know if she can live with herself having mm-hmm. never gotten closure or forgiveness yes. with Joel. Well, and the other thing is, is she seeking revenge or is she seeking forgiveness? And if she's seeking revenge, is she seeking it on Abby or is she seeking it on Joel? 
Like, there's just so many layers. And I well, think and I a, think I would even possibly argue that she is looking for like the world to give her back the karma for holding what Joel did against her. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um. Yeah, that also what was the thing I said? Um, revenge against Joel or revenge against Abby. Oh, I think it's so brilliant that we don't fully know what Ellie's thinking throughout the whole game until the very end. Like, mm-hmm. literally, the boss battle at the end is when we get the final flashback with Joel. And it's like, up until that point, we don't know for sure how she left things off with Joel. Because we're not on the same page as her because we haven't yeah. seen that last flashback. And that's such an interesting move for a game that tells is trying to get you to feel certain ways to withhold that information is so fascinating to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's just, it's so good, because they're so fucking round. The characters are so round. So round. None of that pixelation <gasps> of the earlier generations of games. So rounded. No triangle boobs. Real boobs. <laughs> um, real boobs. Uh, but just, not sexualized. <laughs> it's just, it's so, so, like, ah. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think part of it is that, like, I skipped an entire generation of games. So, like, I went from, like, Wii to having a PS4. (laughs) But it just will continually astound me how good characters are in this generation of gaming. And the fact that we are given characters with, like, full personalities, full backstories, roundness, like, I just eat it up because I'm not used to getting, like, movie-level characters and book-level characters out of my video games. I'm used to having, like, Kirby, a little blob running around and has, like... <laughs> hey, Kirby's a great character. He's adorable, but I don't know what his personality is. I don't know what his past trauma is. Adorable, yet somewhat terrifying, and he's seen a lot of planets die. And a lot of friends get possessed. That's from one game. But, like, you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. Also, going from Nintendo to, like, Xbox or PS4 games is, like, you know, an adjustment. Isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I played and saw people play PS games and Xbox games when I was younger. But just, like, I have not owned a console that could play modern Xbox or PlayStation games until the last, like, two years. It is. It really is. Um, but yeah, they're just really well done characters. I feel like we should talk and spend some like a decent amount of time on why we have grown to like Abby because I think that's very important. Um, well, this is a somewhat related point that I wanted to talk about, and it was um how their two storylines parallel, mm-hmm. and I feel like both of those kind of feed into each other. Yes, that's very very true. Um, I like Abby because she's amazing. I will put this disclaimer out. I. Knew we would play as Abby again, because I saw a screenshot of her um, when, when we were, like, halfway through Ellie's storyline. So I knew that she was going to be a playable character in, like, more than just, in, in, like, exploring bits, which means, like, more than just a couple of plot-important scenes. Um, and my disclaimer number two is that I adore Laura Bailey with my entire heart, and so I was fine playing as a character that she voiced. Like, even if I didn't, even if I had ended up hating that part of the story, would have been fine with it. So I feel like I had the advantage over a lot of people when that shift happened, because I was like, Laura Bailey character, okay, let's go, I'm ready. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know it was coming. Um, I was very conflicted about it at first, because as we discussed, we had a huge conversation 
Um, that was like, how long can we play as yes. Abby for, though? Because we were concerned about the fact that we were leaving Ellie at gunpoint. Um, <laughs> and that we would forget about Ellie, that we would stop feeling the weight of Ellie's story in mm-hmm. getting to know Abby. Which, I will say, was true. Was true. She has a really rough start, like, mm-hmm. gameplay-wise. It's, it's, because playing as Abby for, so what happens if you haven't played and you're still listening to this, um, is that you play three days in Seattle as Ellie, get to, like, the climax of the story, absolute endgame material, and then rewind and play those same three days through as Abby. Which means you're going from, like, the endgame, boss fight, whatever happens next, you've gone through such an emotional journey, and then it gets back to tutorial, not tutorializing you, because you know the game mechanics, but that part of a game where it's, like, Here's the characters. Here's the world you live in. Pick up stuff. Like, start your character upgrades over again. Everything's bright and sunny and cheerful. Like, it it felt like the beginning of a different game at first. Um, And, like, that tonal whiplash is rough, no matter how you feel about it. Because like, it immediately jumps from Elliot Gunpoint to it humanizing the wolves. Where we see their community and their environment and their cows and their dogs. And you see the dog that you just killed as Ellie. Um, Well, and even, like, weather-wise, like, the storm on the third day. Right, the storm is gone. And creepy. And Ellie's traumatized and you're scared. And then it's bright and sunny and you're hanging out with your friends and petting a dog and throwing a tennis ball. And, like, the fuck, man? Yeah. It is a huge tonal whiplash. But I think... Because, like... When we first play as Abby, we don't know she's there to kill Joel. You kind of guess you that she's looking for there, Joel. Yeah. Um, but you don't know that's why she's there. And you see that they are a group of young adults. And you know that there's some kind of tension between her and Owen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you so, know that she's afraid of heights. Right. That's a lovely detail. I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> like, you get these, like, little snippets that are very, like, humanizing. And you're like, okay, cool, here's a girl, blah, blah, blah. And then when you get back to her... You have seen that little bit where, you know, she's not just evil, even if you've... You might have forgotten that first part, though, if you are still really hung up on Joel. Because she did, you know, beat him to death with a golf club. club. Um, And it did did work really well in the tutorial, in in the prologue, where it's like, playing as Abby sets up perfectly why she runs into Joel and Tommy and how she gets to where she is. Like, it's a perfect way of showing you this is the situation, here's how it's building, here's how you're not going to be able to stop it, and this is why it makes sense. But, yeah, it's still the prologue. That's an entirely different part of the game, and you have been through so much, and you're not even playing as the same character anymore. Like, yeah, it's it's weird, and it's, like, your opinion of Abby changes so much, and Joel's death is Brutal. They did not shy away from that at all. Like, my knee hurt when I watched that scene. (sighs) but... Yeah. Um, I think... I think for the first couple hours you play as Abby, it's constantly on your mind that you are playing as Abby. Well, they And Abby in a, like, I'm playing as Joel's killer kind of way. Yes. And then it takes probably getting to, like... Past when the ambush happens and when they're in that, like, second camp and they go to talk to Isaac. And you see her contrasted against Isaac and the fact that he's fucking torturing Seraphites. And I feel like then you get the context of somebody who is much worse than her. 
and it starts to pull her badness down where yes she still killed a character you care about but you kind of get that contextualization of in the grand scheme of this world she's by far not the worst person who's out there i didn't think about that um i will say that that entire first day i think they parallel her against ellie way too hard like everything she it, and maybe it is because it's just that it's those first couple hours with her and you're comparing everything she did to what everything Ellie did but like like this the scene with her and Owen on the Ferris wheel and she has to jump in the water versus Ellie and Joel yes. climbing the dinosaur and has to jump it's there's very so heavy handed many, there's so many moments like that and I remember like I think I told you too like while we were playing it I was like I can't tell if this is a brilliant move or a lazy one that it's so obviously side by side Ellie and Abby like they're supposed mm-hmm. to be the same character but as it goes on but they're not the same they're not the because same. how they experience those things are so different Ellie's like can I jump off the dinosaur and she does not want to jump off the yes. ferris wheel because she's scared of heights so it simultaneously is like paralleling them and showing you that these are just like young women in this world living their lives but it also is showing us that they are vastly different people with different backgrounds and different experiences I will also say like by the end of it, you're not just comparing Abby to Ellie, you're also comparing her to Joel and Joel's mm-hmm. journey. And I, it was the interview that Kind of Funny Games did with Laura Bailey, which is one of the interviews I watched. Um, and she pointed out that Abby's story starts where Ellie's ends in this game. And it's that moment of Abby, which the difference is Abby gets her revenge, but Ellie doesn't. Oh but my god, that's so true. Because Abby is starting with, she got the revenge she spent so long and sacrificed so much of herself and her relationships to get, and she is finding out that it is hollow and it is not worth it, and it made her into someone she does not like, so where do you go from here? And Ellie's journey is getting to that point of getting, sacrificing everything and sacrificing herself to get the revenge. And she does realize, Ellie does realize that it's hollow and it's not worth it, but that is her end point, whereas Abby gets to grow from there, which is, to be fair, one of the things I was worried was going to happen in this game, once we started playing as Abby, my biggest fear was, like, I wanted to like her, and I figured Naughty Dog was going to succeed in making me like her by the end of this, but I did not want her to be morally above Ellie, Mm -hmm. but she is because she's in a different place than Ellie was. And here's the other thing, too, is that she's a little bit older than Ellie, and I think that plays into it, where she has, like, more adult relationships going with her friends and with her community than Ellie does at that time. Because Ellie's old enough that she's considered, like, an adult within the community. They're Mm -hmm. letting her do dangerous things, her and her friends. Well, she lives on her own, you know, like, stuff like that. But, um, I think Abby is a couple years older, and... Abby also has more solid relationships, because Abby's still with Mm -hmm. a bunch of people she's always known. Ellie's only known the people around her for a few years. Right. And I think on top of that, too, Ellie lost somebody at, like, this brink of adulthood. Mm-hmm. And Abby lost her vital person when she was, like, 12, 13. Yeah. And so it's just, like, a large fundamental difference in how, like, they have grown and how they're going to be able to grow from that trauma because of when it occurred. Um, Where Abby has had much more processing time by the time that she is in an act of revenge versus Ellie isn't. And yeah. I feel like both of them are kind of unhinged when they're in their act of revenge as oh, well. Yeah. Because, like, after playing as Abby, 
it does almost feel out of character that she decided to give Joel such a like a long and brutal death because she's not like this inherently violent person but she also is the top scar killer so maybe like I'm not realizing her characterization I don't know well and I think that's just it we we get Abby in a point where her character changes and so we are experiencing that firsthand without a lot without any firsthand experience of who she was before whereas Ellie we all we know about her is who she was before so her descent is a lot more dramatic and Abby has to work a lot harder to show us that she is changing that's true and we're getting Abby at a point where she's realizing that revenge did consume her Mm -hmm. and we're getting Ellie during that learning process yeah so it's like like, there's part of me that's still upset. I still hold that the last fight did not need to happen, mm-hmm. which we'll get to it. But there's part of me that's still upset that Abby, at the end, had a moral high ground of sorts over Ellie. But the fact of the matter is, Abby's further along in her journey, and they are setting Ellie up to get to that point. Like, they have set her up to reach forgiveness and starting again and, you know, whatever else she needs to do. We just don't get to see it because it's not a dog and they're going to leave an ambiguous ending. Ambiguous endings, though. Oh, they lend themselves so many thoughts. But, um, more reasons why we felt... Okay, what was the moment? Do you have a specific moment where you decided, fuck, I love Abby? Was it with Isaac, or was it something after? That was when, like, I kind of understood what they were doing. I don't know when I started to think that I liked her, though. Because I don't know if I really, yeah, consciously thought of it. I feel like if I did, it was probably at some point when she was with the kids. Because they really humanize her. And and it's the same thing they did with Joel. They gave us, like, this gruffy, badass man and then gave him a 14-year-old girl and were like, he's gonna protect her and he's gonna be a big softie for her. And then they took Abby, who we see as, like, a cold-blooded killer, and gave her two children to try and take care of and save the lives of. Have you seen the gif? It's going around Tumblr. And it's, on one side, it's Joel carrying Ellie in the hospital gown when she's unconscious, and the other side it's Abby carrying Lev um, out of the the whatever their name is camp at the end. And like, I've not seen that. It's so good because it's it's same positioning. It's probably not intentional. Like it's not like exact match, but like same vibe. And like that was that was one moment I've had recently. Like I've liked her for a while now, but it was one moment I had like the other day where I was like, Oh man, I really <laughs> like her character. Yeah. See, I started to like her when we were playing the game, but I felt so conflicted about it. Cause I still felt like I shouldn't have, but yeah, by the end I really liked her. Cause I definitely too felt like a dread when I knew that like something bad had happened to her and she'd been captured in the end in California where I was like Ellie needs to get there because we know Ellie's going to interrupt whatever like horror is happening and even though Ellie's there to kill her Ellie's also going to be her savior in a way because she's going to get her out of whatever horrible situation those captors have her in. I had two moments where I actually really realized I liked Abby. The first was where I still also felt guilty about liking her and it's when, after your, like, firefight with Mel and Owen on the first day, and she kind of, like, she's the one that notices that Mel is injured and, mm-hmm. like, tells her to take care of herself and gets help for her. Um, which, I will say, I don't like where Mel and Abby ended. That made me kind of mad. Like, that's the closest Naughty Dog got to cattiness in this game. But also, like... It was, it was validated. Mel's anger was validated, <sighs> but we never saw that anger 
channeled at Owen as well. Yes, that's the problem. Cheating is bad. Don't only blame the woman, though. Yes. Which, that said, it was immediately cleansed by Abby telling off Owen in front of Mel. Mm-hmm. Like, that made up for it. Because, like, fucking yeah. finally. Um, but there's that moment. And then the moment when you're with Lev on the air bridge and you get past the first one. And Abby's, like, freaking out. And she's like, I did it. Come over here. I'm going to hug you. And Lev is just like, mm, no, like, we still have to keep going. Um, but, like, just that moment of her, like, literally hardened killer, like, did not trust these kids the night before. And now she's, like, at her most vulnerable next to them and just being openly affectionate and silly. And it's like, it, 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 it feels like it should be out of character. But it wasn't, because it was just such an extreme well, moment for her. And we've seen her being, too, so playful with the people in her life, where, like, her and Manny tease each other a lot, and she does genuinely care about her friends, because she cares about, like, Mel's well-being. So we've seen enough, like, small, soft moments from her, even though we know that she has, like, obviously murdered Joel, and also <laughs> is, like, the top scar killer, yep. that um I think it just proves that this world creates, like, a dissonance in people. Where, oh, they're just, like, normal people living their life who also have to kill all the time just because of the world they live in. Um, And it's more like Abby's character arc isn't realizing that killing is wrong so much as realizing that she doesn't have to live her life in a way where killing has to be casual. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, like, of course they're going to have to kill in this world because they have to kill the infected. Like, you have to defend yourself you're not gonna be able to get rid of them without killing them a lot of the times when you encounter them. Like, that's just fact. But she kind of gets to the point, and mostly because of Owen's own thoughts with trying to go back to the Fireflies. Um, Because I think that gives her a way to get out of this. I think she would have the thoughts on her own of, like, I don't want to be doing this anymore, especially after taking care of the kids. Um, But she wouldn't know how to get out or where to go or what to do if Owen hadn't been so set on thinking the Fireflies are regrouping. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that gives her the motivation to really realize, I need out. Like, I don't need to be the top scar killer. Like, I don't need to be, like, quote, needlessly killing in a war that's not mine kind of thing, you know? I think it's also, like watching her realize that all of her motivations have become hollow is really interesting Mm -hmm. because she immediately she has like the really good fortune actually of immediately finding something to fight for again which is the kids and and to an extent owen and her friends um and like it ties into two of my favorite lines in the game one is owen's like when they're asking like what happened to us and he's like i think we just stopped looking for the light um, because first of all, firefly callback symbolism, cool. Mm-hmm. But second of all, like that hits so hard that like they're just kids, and at some point they were fighting for something worthwhile, and then they turned to just having to survive, and look what it did to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also Abby's line of "You're my people." To yes, Lev. such it's a so good line. Good. I think that was like my really big like, "Yep, I definitely like Abby." Moment. We we both were like, "Fuck!" when that line came up. But just like the power of like in one in three words denouncing everything you stood for like 24 hours ago and choosing someone and knowing that you made the right choice and you have a purpose again like it's so good Mm -hmm. and I love the act of like them traveling through the fight and having like no weight in it 
because even though um Lev that's the right name, right? That's the kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. I couldn't remember which was which for a second. Because even though Lev like like obviously still cares that like scars are dying. I feel like Lev doesn't really like super believe in the religion, even though Lev understands the religion. Like they they like Lev They did a really I feel like the, both the siblings, it's like they take the positive parts of the religion of like the positive affirmations and things and like the mantras, but they don't believe in it the way that the people who are really fighting the war believe in it. They did a really cool thing of showing how of showing the dissonance between dissonance the right word the tension between dissonance is our buzzword of this episode. <laughs> the tension between a religion's original text and purposes and and intent and how that gets twisted to justify war because mm-hmm. Lev continuously Lev is a very spiritual person and is yes. even trying to convert Abby like the entire time that they're together um but Lev believes in like the the really good parts of the religion that wanted to save people and give people a home in this horrible horrible environment whereas the rest of the cultists believe in we're right you're wrong we will kill over our beliefs. Like, fine. Like, it's such it's such a good way to show that the religion itself is not like spirituality itself is not inherently bad, but the actions of the people who follow it too closely is what creates conflict and problems, and hate and hate and war. Like, how many? How many wars? All of them were started over a religious view. Mm-hmm. All of them. Yeah. So I feel like Lev doesn't feel the weight of like wanting to fight with like his people. So then instead, it's like they're like riding through this battle and like running through this battle where it's like it doesn't matter what's happening; they just have to get to the other side. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. But the one problem I do have with that portion is that the, um, what's the girl's name? Yara. Yara. That Yara and Isaac both die in, like, a blink. I will say... Like, there's no weight given to either of their deaths. There's no. And we, like, were really convinced Isaac was gonna be, like, the big bad of the game. (laughs) Yeah, whoops. Um... Which is kind of cool because, like, people keep pointing out there's no villain in this game. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of villainous people. There's no villain. Right. Um, I will say that Yara had a good moment in that, like, we thought she was dead, then she saved their lives, and then she died. Which still really sucked, and I think the problem is because it was so close to... Because after that, it was escape, cutscene, 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 epilogue, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't go back to that moment. We don't see those two characters have a moment to reflect until it is much, much later. Like, yes, that's months true. or even years after the fact. Which is kind of sad, because I adored Yara with my entire heart. Um, but yeah. Mm. But yeah, Isaac just, like, gone. gone. It's like, they kill Yara, but oh, she's still alive. Oh, she just shot Isaac. Oh, now we're just moving on. Like, moving it, on, moving on. It all happened so fast, and I feel like I would have liked 
to see Abby kill Isaac. Yes. Because then we could have seen, like, the brutality that she's physically capable of kind of thing, like, exercised on somebody who wasn't Joel and appreciated, like, her violence and how muscular she is and how she trained for so long basically to be able to kill people that way because she wanted to kill Joel Mm -hmm. but like to be able to see that exercised on somebody else who we do view as inherently bad and evil I think would have been really benefiting to Abby's story overall and instead Isaac is just killed in almost an offhand way yeah um which I think is a little bit of loss on like just the overall story and I think I think that's kind of the the it's not a problem, because I would rather them do it this way, but because we had so much time spent on fleshing out Abby and Ellie and all of their close companions, we did not get a lot of anything else. Like, we don't even, we don't know a lot about the cult leader. It's mm-hmm. environmental storytelling, what happened to her, and why the cult is so, like, big right now. It's like, now. we know she sacrificed herself, we're pretty sure that Isaac captured her and killed her, but we don't really have confirmation of yeah. any of that. We barely know who Isaac is. We barely know who is it the Rattlers at the end. Yes, Rattlers. We barely know who they are. Like all the major players who aren't our protagonists don't get fleshed out in the game, and I feel like that's kind of sad. Yes, because every group you spend time like, yeah, every group you spend time with in the first game get a lot more storytelling to them because David and his cult freaking creepy as hell and you know it and like you get cutscenes with them um but you know that also has the more traditional hero villain dynamic which this game was very hard like trying so hard to avoid and managed to avoid um i think there is a certain loss though in we understand that the scars and the wolves have conflict over just like the city in general it's a territorial thing to an extent But we don't understand motivation outside of just, like, they infringed on our territory and they violated some treaty that had been made. But, like, what I want to know is, like, why does anyone feel like they need that territory? Is it a resource thing? But, like, almost everything's been looted at this point. So, like, is it resources? Is it just, like, the act of having more of the city? Do the cultists, because of their religion, believe? Like, we don't actually know why they, like, cut out people's entrails. So, is... Cutting out people's entrails, a like they need people to sacrifice for their religious purposes, and they and it has to be wolves because like they've fought before. Like we don't understand enough of the motivations of where the violence between the groups comes from to like feel anything about that situation outside of just knowing that Abby doesn't have stakes in it because she wasn't yep. in Seattle from the get go of like breakout day, which is. Maybe an intentional move because, you know, the player... Then it feels as pointless yeah, to us as it does to Abby. Play, like, we don't get a chance to be like, okay, yeah, both of them are bad, but, you know, the, the, the scars haven't killed as many people. Like, we don't get the chance to take a side if one was given. We have just as few stakes, and we feel like we feel like strangers who, like, dropped into this conflict to survive, and now we're just trying to get out, and that's exactly where Abby is. And it's, it's yeah. not where Love is, because Love grew up in it, but... That's, like, yeah, a really good point I hadn't thought about until I still want to know more about them, though. I will say yeah. that it was in an 
interview, I think Neil Druckmann said that Isaac was supposed to be a former Firefly who knew Abby's father, and that's why she went to, the group went to Seattle. Oh. Um, but that just didn't make it in. That would be really interesting, too, that, like, she's choosing to turn against somebody that her father was close to, because it would really be denouncing the way that she's been living her life looking for revenge. Mm-hmm. But she's been on the revenge path much longer. Four years? Five? Yeah, four years. Longer than that. Yeah. And by the time we get to the end of the game, Ellie hasn't even been on the revenge path that long. She's been on it only maybe like two years. Two years tops, yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to start talking about the end? We're over an hour in. Probably should. Mm-hmm. You probably should. God, I don't want to, though. Okay, so before we get into, like, the really nitty-gritties of, like, Ellie and Abby's shit at the end. Yes. Something that I thought of with the Rattlers. It's like, we're shown their, like, nasty, nasty group. And we're not given a lot of explanation, which you and me didn't feel good about. Um, Where we were like, but why would they keep, like, you know, runners just, like, on chains? And, like, are they just, like, purposely infecting people? Like, we had so many questions, and we're like, what is this fucked-up culture? Um... And I think that is used as a juxtaposition against all the other communities that we've seen in this game. Because all the other groups we know more about and also none of them are close to that bad. So, as as far as we know. Because to be creating more infected is just like like the worst thing you can do in this world almost because like you are continuing to like create more of the thing that changed the world forever um and so I think they are so weird and creepy and unexplained not just because of time's sake but also because then they are like the worst thing we've seen so then we cannot denounce like any group that we are supposed to feel like positively towards a member of as bad so we can't villainize the wolves or Jackson, which we never would, or um, the Seraphites, because we have a group that is inherently worse than any of them to compare them to. I think it also, I did not think about that, but now that I am, I think it also sets up Santa Barbara and that entire chapter as like the absolute lowest you can go morally in the game. Mm-hmm. And it's the absolute lowest that Ellie ever gets. That's very, very true. And I think that's a really well, interesting environmental... It's the lowest Ellie gets as far as, like, goodness versus badness, but I think mentally it's probably also the lowest that Abby gets to where we've seen her as, like, a largely positive person because we've seen her, like, realizing there's something better out there and, like, getting finding a purpose in the kids, and then we see her broken. And I feel like that's still the thing. There's two things that bother me about the ending, and one of them is the last fight, which we'll get to. The other is what you pointed out is that there's no... I feel strange because I'm I like what they did with it narratively, but it felt like when Abby gets captured and then tortured and put to her absolute physical lowest, there was no reason for it other than to serve Ellie's narrative. Um, and it's like, especially for the fact that she she'd done it. She found the fireflies. She was taking care of a kid. She had found her soul again and her purpose. Mm-hmm. And we were given proof that she was on the right track. And that gets taken from her. And we know, because of the, like, new start screen at the end of the game, it implies that she does go on to find the Fireflies after all of this. But it's such... It feels almost cheap to part her through that. And that's actually something, like, I 
felt like that was how the game was going to end originally. Like, that was one of my theories once we started playing it, where Abby was going to get to a place that's so low that Ellie would have to realize she could not kill her. But I thought that was going to happen in the actual game, and we would get to play through Abby going through that with getting captured the cult and everything, rather than we get to play Abby through her redemption arc and her forgiveness of herself into the future, and then she gets knocked down. Right, because I think that if Ellie had found Abby at the point where the cult had her and was going to sacrifice her, that would have almost made more sense. Because Abby, Abby wouldn't have had the opportunity to find her purpose in helping and saving the kids. But having Ellie find her at a low point and therefore be unable to like follow through on what she thought her actions would be, mm-hmm. be more embedded into the story that we've seen all along in the game and still be like set in Seattle and with like the groups that we know and different things like that, I think that would have felt like, more of a traditional story, because there is still a part of me that feels like this story is kind of convoluted. Even though, like, I enjoy... really weird. Yeah, I enjoy plenty of parts of it, but overall, the way the pacing goes is a little too convoluted. Because, too, the fact that we got to the... Farm Core Part 1, let's call it. When we got to Farm Core Part 1, I thought we were just going to go through a mostly cutscene epilogue and that was the end of the game right there. Mm-hmm. But instead, we had a whole nother chapter to play through. They had to go to California. Abby had to be rescued. Like, we played as both of them again. Um, like, the fact that we could get to a point in the game and think, oh, this is the end, and it really was not for several more hours is kind of almost like a tonal fuck-up. Two hours tops. A pacing tonal fuck-up, in my opinion. Yes. I wish that they had either made the epilogue into a fully-fledged last chapter that was, like, five hours long, which that would have given us time to learn more about the Rattlers, play more as Abby so it doesn't feel like as much... Because Abby's epilogue, like, the last time we played as her, was a mostly cutscene epilogue. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a couple of clickers or a couple of runners, and that's it. Like, it was easy, it was bright. But if we had played with her into more of a, like, fuck, there's rattlers here, we need to get out, we need to find the fireflies, and then she gets captured, it would feel less like a a gut punch, I guess? It felt cheap to just come out of the house after finding the fireflies and get captured, and there's nothing you can do about it. So if we came out of the house and, like, the rattlers were there, and you were trying to escape them, and you almost make it out, but then you don't, and you have conflict, like... That gives you a chance to put up more of a fight and, like, settle in more as Abby rather than just, like, well, what... Like, because by the time we realized what was really going on, it was over and she was captured and the story changed again. So I wish they'd made the last part either into it's a chapter of its own or just not done it. And I still hold to my theory that I feel like a lot of the epilogue was inspired by things they wanted to still do gameplay-wise rather than story-wise because... And I get it. You want to be able to play as Ellie again for more than just a cutscene epilogue. Like, we've spent hours away from her. We want gameplay with Ellie. This is, at the end of the day, still Ellie's game. And then we want Abby's epilogue as well. And then we want, you know, the fulfilling fight between Abby and Ellie where you get to play as Ellie instead of as Abby. Like, all of that stuff felt like gameplay things that, yeah, probably should have happened at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. But is the story worth that? It's like, I don't even know... It's like, to quote, fix it. It's not like I can just say, like, this scene should have been different. Like, 
there's a large part of the game that I feel like would have had to be very different in order to fix a lot of the tonal yes. things and a lot of like the way that we feel like we didn't get enough time in certain areas. And maybe like that is what it came down to for Naughty Dog. Like maybe the delays came because they were trying to fix that kind of stuff. And there still was just like, you know, once they changed X, then they had to change Y. And then mm-hmm. once they changed Y, well, then Z fell off. And it's like, at what point do you stop before you just change your entire game? Which I think is goes to the point that we started this podcast with. Like, it's not the story we would have told. It's not the ending we would have given. But they tied it together so well that it's not like, oh, well, this one scene was really bad if they had just fixed that. Like, it's the story itself. They did a good job of creating the story they wanted to tell to the point where we can't be like, well, I didn't like this part. If you had just fit, because how many times on this podcast do we sit there like, if they'd just done this differently, it would have been so much better. Mm-hmm. We can't do that with this game because they knew what they were doing all along. Yeah. So maybe we should take our own advice and be like, it's not what we would have done, but still <laughs> crafted well. Um. The question I wanted to ask you earlier was, yes. did you at any point during the epilogue feel like Ellie was actually going to get to kill Abby? I had an ongoing feeling of, but they're not going to do it right, but they're not going to do it right, but they're not going to do it right. Right, right. <laughs> um, Especially when Ellie cut her down from the pole out by the ocean. I was like, there's no way. Right? But it was always a right, because I didn't totally trust it. Um, but I was like, there's no way that she can go after this woman when she's at this, like, mental and physical low. There's no way that she doesn't recognize that. Like, she's literally being, like, crucified. So, um, the fact that she even decides to have the fight, and still, I know we talked about it, my possibly biggest problem with the game is that when she, when Abby threatens Dina... And Ellie says something. Abby does not harm Dina. Mm -hmm. And then Ellie threatens Lev to get Abby to fight. And I still believe that if Abby had decided not to fight, Ellie would not have done anything to Lev. I agree with that. But it's such a cheap shot. It is. And And that's that's uh, the lowest moment. That is the moment where we no longer like Ellie at all. And Mm -hmm. that's what I was afraid of them doing all along, was putting it to a point where I would choose Abby over Ellie. And in that moment... That is the case. Yeah. I, I gotta say, the two parts where I did not like Ellie, I don't think I'll say hate, but I did not like Ellie, were that and when Dina is begging her to stay oh, and she goes. Oh. The whole farm course scene I still hurts. cry. Because, like, they did... Oh, God. I'm not gonna say they could have ended it. There would have been something missing, I think, if... We just left off with Ellie gets to have a happy life and we don't yes. know what happened to Abby. We, we can't leave it there. Yeah. And, like, because also, if we had left it with Ellie choosing to stay, it would have been, like, the first game where we're sitting there, like, is she actually going to stay or is she going to go after Abby and not tell Dina? Like, that kind of thing. But I was begging her not to go that entire scene. As soon as she woke up, I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. And she did it. Mm-hmm. And she did it. Because what else is she going to do? Yeah. Ugh, it just stinks because it's like, better. yeah, Ellie has everything. And I get that internally she doesn't have everything. She has this, like void that still you know is there um and a huge part of it is her ptsd and she thinks that you know it's gonna help so i totally get that you know she has like a hole and she has you know the ptsd and she thinks that she's going to sleep better and that's going to get better if she does go get her revenge so there are motivating factors however 
in a post-apocalyptic world where you get to have a happy ending and you're having that possibility, how do you walk away from the happy ending? How? And, like, continue to walk away, too, because if you read her journal that time, she even freaking asks herself, what am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. she knows every step of the way that it's wrong, and she is still actively choosing to go on. And it's... It, I I hold, and I've said this so many times, so I'm sorry, Amy, that you have to hear it again. Mm. I hold that they never... One of my biggest fears with this game is that they were going to make Ellie a truly dark character. And she does not get that way until the very end. Because throughout all the time that you're playing with her, like, Seattle Day 1, for the first half, is beautiful. Like, you're killing people. But you're it's on a revenge happy. mission. It's, it's, and part of it is, like, it's bright. It's lush and green. You're with your girlfriend. But, like, Ellie is sitting there, first of all, singing. Which, for, it, it's it's such a symbol of mental health. Like, as as someone who stops singing whenever I have, like, really bad mental health spills, and I know other people do this, too, like, the fact that she can sit there and, like, choose to make music so casually felt like a symbol of, like, she is still doing okay. She's still in control. She's, like, well-being overall, like, fine. Like, not great. You're still in the apocalypse and on a revenge mission. But, like, mm-hmm. that was just such a... a first of all, beautiful moment, but also, like, such a a healthy way of processing, I guess, is how I would say it, that every time she picks up a guitar, and she can't finish the song with Joel, but she can still sing for Dina Mm -hmm. that first time, and she can still pick up a guitar and practice, um, and then stuff like making jokes with Dina, and flirting, and planning their life together after this, um, and even to the point where she is slowly killing everyone, trying to reach Abby, she does not kill... The only we we figured this out. The only person she does not kill out of self defense is Nora. Nora's already dead because she's infected. Because she's infected. Um, and yes, she tortures Nora, and that's really, really, really dark. But we feel the weight of that when she comes back to Dina that night and like can't fucking talk. It's weighing on her that she did do that to yeah. find out where Abby was. She never casually commits violence or torture on her mission, which makes her feel like, like, yes, she is spiraling down, but she's never getting as dark as I feared. And maybe that's just a personal thing, that, like, I was expecting them to put her in a really dark place right away and spend the entire game like that. But she doesn't get there until the epilogue. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a pacing thing, too. Like, she didn't get that bad to the point where if she had chosen to stay, I probably would have believed it. Yeah. I agree with that. If she had chosen to stay, I wouldn't have been like, that's unreasonable or that doesn't make sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially if you, like, she got up, thought about it, and then was like, no, I can't, and stayed. Mm-hmm. I also don't entirely believe that Tommy would have told her to go. I have such a huge issue with Tommy telling her to go, because he did not want her to go at the beginning, but then as soon as he is physically compromised and can't, it's all on Ellie. And Tommy was talking about leaving, too. Mm-hmm. Like, Tommy was planning their route home. Like, it felt like bef- the moment before the epilogue, like, if felt like Ellie was the one who was conflicted about leaving and Tommy and Jesse were gonna have to convince her to go. It- yeah, I guess at that point maybe it's the fact that like two people have died by Abby's hand and that's where his like physical disability comes from. Yeah. So it's just like it was personal and now it's even more personal. It just it does not feel like anything <sighs> we've seen of his character so far. Yeah, I do not like that he asks to go and I love that Dina chews him out for it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Dina deserves 
so much more. I will even say that by the end of this game, Dina deserves better than Ellie, even though I hope that they get back together at the end. Yeah. Um, which I have thoughts on that, too. Um, but the fact that Dina even pulls out, like, how does no one else realize that I'm affected by this, too? Like, she's taking on so much for everyone around her, and she's such a strong, amazing character. But, like, someone give her a break. Someone give her a hug. Someone give her son a hug. I know you and I have already talked about this. Let's talk about it again. We gotta rehash things for the podcast. I absolutely adore the symbolism of Louis. Oh my god. Ellie. <laughs> I was trying to say Ellie losing and then it just became Louis. Ellie losing her fingers. It's really good. Um, I adore the symbolism of it's like on her giant revenge mission to get revenge for Joel. She then loses what gave her her largest connection to him after his death, which was playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also takes away from her her ability to write music and make songs, which has been, like, somewhat of a healing process for her and a coping mechanism is, like, putting her feelings into song. So it's, like, in following and continuing to pursue Abby and trying to get her revenge, she lost a huge part of herself. And that symbolism... I love it. I love it so much. I love symbolism. It's really good. I also, in the battle when Abby bites off her fingers, I think that's the moment where I realized they were both for sure going to live out of this. Mm -hmm. Because Abby gets to get away and Ellie loses something physically of herself. Like, that feels like such a, like, damaged hero moment. Mm -hmm. Not to say that it's, like, overly cliche, because I also really love the symbolism of it. But that feels like such a strong moment that I was like, that's it. That's the price that she pays. Yes. With so much more. Like, that's the least of her worries, honestly. But And I do love her sitting in the water and watching them walk away. Like, there's the defeatedness of just, like, literally just sitting down in the water is amazing. That entire scene. And, like, where she's holding... The way they layer, the way she's holding Abby under, and the flashes of Joel. That's one of my favorite moments of the whole game. As much as I don't think that that fight had to happen, because, okay... They didn't have to be that violent at the end. I don't think they had to have a bite, boss fight. I understand why they did. They would definitely be getting criticism if they didn't. Um, but I feel like Ellie, if Ellie... But the boss fight could just be you getting through the whole mansion to find Abby. Yeah, well, <sighs> but you have to have, like, they did this with David and Ellie in the first game. It felt like an uncharted boss fight, if I'm going to be honest. Um, like... The one-on-one battle, especially since we already did it and we had to play as Abby during it, they mm-hmm. wanted to give you Ellie's side of it, and I get it. But if Ellie, yeah, if they had just followed her out to the beach and Ellie had sat at the boat, in the water, whatever, watched him go, you still get that same shot of she's like, why the fuck did I not just kill her? I couldn't bring myself to kill her. And you, every everything emotionally would have been the same. And I think that's it. Not the fact that, like, we had the fight, but the fact mm-hmm. that, for me, it didn't change anything. Right. Like, Ellie loses the fingers, great symbolism. But, like, yeah, if they'd just gone out to the boats and you'd watched them leave and sat down in the water the exact same as the very end shot there, like, it would have held the same emotional weight to me, I think. Mm-hmm. And we still would have understood, like, where she was at mentally that she is over the idea of revenge and she would have, like, returned to the farmhouse and, like, we still would have felt the weight of that. Like, like, it wouldn't have changed almost anything. I will say that, like, the flashing of, like, the flashback with Joel on the porch would not have... I don't know where they would have placed it if not in the moments before she kills Abby. Because Mm -hmm. that flashback and realizing that she did forgive Joel in time 
and she can forgive herself and Abby in time. It's I, very specifically placed. I almost feel like they could have done it where she's sitting in the water and their boat is getting smaller and then it flashes Joel and the forgiveness oh. and then the boat gets is further and then it's Joel and then the boat is further. Alternatively, she gets her gun out and points it at the boat as it goes. <gasps> and that's when, because then you still get the moment of like, she's going to do it, she's going to mm. do it, she's going to do it. She's not going to do it and here's why. Yeah, and two, maybe if she was like almost like doing like dry sobs or something and she's like holding the gun like she thinks at the last minute like I can't let them go I have to do this like this is what I have to do and she's like thinking about it and she's like overwhelmed with emotion and then she thinks of Joel and the forgiveness Mm -hmm. and then she's like her gun lowers as they get further yep and she falls into (sighs) but yeah someone let us write a video game already god damn it mechanically I don't think it had to happen but you know that is that is one where I'm like they would be getting so much more like bad comments if they didn't give us a final fight. I'm rolling my eyes. Um. Can I ask you? Mm-hmm. The scene where Ellie gets back to the farm and then leaves. What? First of all, like, what are your thoughts on that in general? And where do you think she goes after that? Well, okay. So because they talk about the farm on Seattle day one, mm-hmm. When there's that part where you have, like, the really open map and there's, like, the bank and stuff. And you're just being cute with your girlfriend because you're a lesbian in a big game. <laughs> Still not over it. Um, Because they talk about the farm at that point, it is, like, an incredibly, like, idealized, perfect, like, picture-perfect future that they have a farm. Even though it is riddled with, like, the baby's dad is dead. <laughs> And Ellie is PTSD. Like, obviously, there's a lot going on there. There's infected outside the door. (laughs) Right. But I think um, it is, like, too picture perfect. Because it's, like, the future that they talked about. It's, like, literally they're living their dream kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, even though I view it as Dina went back to Jackson and is probably living with um, Jesse's family. And I assume that Ellie goes back to Jackson. I think it's just supposed to be that, like, things can't be perfect. Like, nothing's perfect in this world. They had their perfect life, and it wasn't perfect. Mm -hmm. And, like, the needless killing and revenge and all of these things ruined the perfection. And so, going back to Jackson isn't a bad thing. Ellie's not, like, a loner or something now, I don't think. But it's just, like, nothing's perfect in this world. And it's never yeah. going to be perfect because it's a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. Um, Do you think she went back to Jackson? I think she went back to Jackson. And I have a couple things on that. Okay. But before that, I'm going to say, the interview I watched with, again, Kind of Funny Games, and it was with Neil Druckmann, Troy Baker, and Ashley Johnson. And I don't remember the host's name, but he asked them about the ending um, and what their thoughts, and specifically what Ashley Johnson, the voice actress who voices Ellie, what her thoughts on what Ellie does was. And she said, and this took me by surprise, and then I thought about everything Ashley Johnson's ever done, and it didn't take me by surprise, but she said that she actually thought she wasn't 100% sure, and she under, like, that's why they left the ending ambiguous, but she can see Ellie, instead of going back to Jackson, going off on her own, and just kind of, just the fact that she doesn't know who she is anymore, and she's lost so much, and she's also a, like, 20-year-old who has never been able to make her own decisions and go her own way. And she no longer has the weight of being like, I'm the immune person, I have to make a cure, and I have to blend into the society, and I have to get revenge on Joel. 
so what's left and how does she find that and so her thoughts were like what if ellie just she went into the woods and she kept on walking and she can obviously take care of herself and maybe she would come back at some point but like she could just be a wanderer for a while i can i can see that um I feel like it wouldn't be that, like, Jackson never hears from her again, or, like, right. she never shows up there. Because if nothing else, I feel like she would go there just to, like, get supplies before she really, like, heads out. Um, but, I yeah, I could see it that she never, like, really settles in Jackson again, but instead she kind of reverses and comes back to them occasionally. And, like, Post-apocalyptic nomad. Yeah, very, yeah, very nomadic life. I guess I can see that being, like, fitting for her at this point. And I think, too, at that point, she probably views herself as a bit of a monster because she's kind of, like, waking up at the other end of, like, the revenge spree. And I think that she would have a little bit of self-hatred at that point and do a little bit of a reclusive, like, I'm not fit to be around other people angsty thing. Yep. Oh, God, yeah. This girl's so angsty. She really is just an angsty teenager, and I feel so bad for her. Mm-hmm. Um, however, those are the opinions of Ashley Johnson, and as much as I respect her, I don't that's not my opinion. Um, I do think she goes back to Jackson, and because I am a absolute lesbian, I think that she gets back with Dina. And someone I follow on Tumblr pointed out a couple of things, um, and I'm very excited to read them to you. Uh, one was that she does not have Dina's bracelet at all in Santa Barbara, but she does in the epilogue when she's back in their farmhouse. Oh, because I noticed it, I think, when they were back in the farmhouse. I want, because at some point I said she still has like, Dina's bracelet. Yeah, I feel like and and this is this is someone else talking I've not confirmed because I've not replayed the epilogue because I've not put 30 more hours into this game um yet quite yet um but yeah someone said that she doesn't have it with her or in her pack in Santa Barbara but she does have it on in the house someone also pointed out um the cuts of her fingers where she was bitten are cleaner than they possibly could have been without professional medical attention which like it's been a few points months at that point between traveling from Santa Barbara back to Jackson so that one's iffy. Um, someone also points out she's wearing different clothes, cleaner clothes, and she doesn't have her backpack with her. So no matter what, she probably did stop by Jackson on the way to the farmhouse, which oh. is what's causing a lot of people to headcanon that she's already back with Dina at this point. Mm, I feel like that's really or silly, though. at the very though. least, like, has connected with Dina again. No matter where they stand, she has come back. Dina knows, Dina knows she's alive, I think is my takeaway from that. Okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that she's, like, already back with Dina, because then it would be a really silly idea to have her go to the empty farmhouse, and, because that's supposed to be, like, a shock of, like, Dina left. Dina did not wait for her. And if she is already, like, quote, back with Dina, then, like, there's no wait to that scene anymore, other than she can't play guitar. Well, what I thought when I saw that was, like, I, I thought, you know, the idea was that, like, if she'd already reconnected with Dina, she went back to the farmhouse specifically to get her stuff, and especially the guitar. But with that moment of she can't play guitar anymore and it's time to let Joel go, she decides to leave it behind. Which, I, her comics and everything is in there, so I don't 100% subscribe to that idea. Mm-hmm. But there is symbolism that. I will also say, something Neil Druckmann said in that interview was that an early draft of the end scene had Ellie picking up 
JJ's toy that she has earlier in the epilogue mm-hmm. and put it in her backpack before leaving the farmhouse. So then you know she's going back to Dina. So that you know she's going back to Dina. And they did take that out specifically to leave it more ambiguous. But that makes me think that, like, their intention was that she gets back with yes. Dina. Like, Neil Druckmann literally said we took that out because that's answering too much and we want to leave it open-ended. But by saying that, we know. you answer it enough for me. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I do really like. I They do a good job of leaving that open to, like, wherever you think Ellie would be in that situation, wherever you would be at the end of this story, you can project that onto her. And yeah. that's a really nice way of having, like, player interaction in a game that has such a established character. Like, we don't get to customize Ellie in any way. Mm-hmm. I had one more thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. DLC. <laughs> Which, to be Um, fair, I've heard that they already said they're not going to make DLC, but they also at one point said that they weren't going to make a sequel, so I'll believe it when I don't see it. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like if they were going to do DLC, it would be Abby with the Fireflies. Or it would be... I don't even know. I I don't think I have another idea. I was thinking about Left Behind and how it answered parts of this original story we were missing and also parts of a character's backstory we were missing and I thought what if the DLC was Dina and her sister and it flashed between that and Dina at some point with Ellie along the way whether that's in Seattle when she's like alone in the theater or like on their travels to Seattle in the first place I could see that mostly I want more Dina I think she deserves more mm-hmm. I still say that I would love to see Joel early on in like the gang that he ran Ooh. in but that doesn't make sense as DLC for the second game that would have been first game DLC if it was going to happen, you know? I do think if they end up making DLC, they're going to have to do either you play as both Abby and Ellie, or you get two DLCs, one for Ellie, one for Abby, or you just ignore them all together and do if, someone else. If but. they only do Abby, though, there'd be way too much flashback. They cannot yeah, do that, or, like, yeah. it's, that would be, like, a suicide mission. I, it's terrifying the amount of hate that people have like there's death threats so many death threats so many like anti-semitism and yeah no it's uh fucking terrifying um be nice to people people yeah as harry styles once said it costs nothing to be nice treat people with kindness you might say (laughs) um i personally will give all of my love to everyone who was involved in this game because hot damn is good that be the end note. Hot damn, it's good. Hot damn, it's good. If you also think hot damn, it's good. Hot damn, it's good. Or if you think this was hot damn, it's good. What can they do, Amy? Well, we have a Twitter where you can follow us and talk to us. It's at BFAF pod. pod. At BFAF pod. <laughs> or you can talk to us individually if you think, you know, one of us is cool for some reason. Um, My Twitter is at Grace underscore Jessica, and that is Jessica with two a's and mine is at hey it's underscore amy j that's a-m-y-j-a-y uh yeah that's all we got it's real dark we have to go reset all the clocks in our house because the power went out multiple times all the clocks like we'll only have one on the oven we have to go reset the oven clock in our house um until then be safe y'all black lives matter don't hate on people on the internet wear a mask when you go out and have a yes good day